What we're doing on, on Wednesday nights is uh, we do a verse-by-verse study of the Bible, which is different than Sunday mornings when I come and I do a t- topical message like most pastors on a Sunday morning take a message and blah, 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 and whatever, and it's all wonderful and great. But uh, it's not a verse-by-verse study. On Wednesday night, we take a book of the Bible and we take, boom, 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 one verse after another, read the whole thing in context so you can really learn what the Bible is saying in its entirety. And uh, while I still continue to give you my opinions about everything, we encourage you to bring your Bibles with you on Wednesday nights so you can read along with us, so you can see uh, what was just said, you know, and you can go, what's he saying, is that right? And you can check it out, you can look ahead, see where we're going, all that stuff is good so that we can uh, really understand what the Bible is doing. Now, Ephesians, it's kind of broken into... Uh, two parts in a sense I mean not really but the way he starts out is the first half of the book he talks very much in in theological terms big ideas about God and who we are and all that kind of stuff and then when he gets done with that halfway through the book then he takes from there based on all this great stuff that God is doing then he shows us how we should practically live so we're getting very close to the practical side of this thing which uh, I'm looking forward to but this whole study of of who we are in God and what God is doing in us has really been fascinating and uh, we're going to pick it up we left off uh, at verse 13 so we're going to pick it up at verse 14 of chapter 3 alright and uh, he writes here he says for, for this reason what reason? Well, you have to jump back a verse or two, like to verse 12 there. Or he says, in him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We talked about that last Wednesday, how wonderful it is great. And great it is that we can approach God with confidence and freedom. And and we don't have to be afraid of God. And how, uh, because of what Christ has done, he's given given us this incredible access to God through faith. I mean, how awesome is this? You don't need to go through anybody else to get to God. You can certainly get people to help you. Uh, You can get preachers to help you. You can get uh, other people of faith to help you. But when it comes to you and God, you can go straight to God. You don't need to go through me to get there. Right? You don't have to do through anyone special. The beauty of this thing is that God has made it possible that anybody, any one of you, can connect with God, boom, right where you're at right now. This is a phenomenal thing. So he says, for this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. So again, Paul talks, as he's writing in Ephesians, for those of you who've been following along the whole time, he talks about how he doesn't see a real big difference between those who are in heaven and those of us who are still here. And uh, we read last week how um, he said, someday uh, we'll judge the angels. Well, yeah, great, when we're dead. He said, no, 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 but if you're going to do that then, you ought to be able to do stuff like that now. You ought to be able to judge amongst yourselves and make decisions. He didn't see a huge difference. He says, because we're experiencing the kingdom of God right now. Now, obviously, when we get there, it's going to be kingdom of God on steroids. All right? It's going to be like really cool. But it's not like we don't have something here. What we have here is awesome. It is cool. It is powerful. Sadly, most of us just don't get it. And he writes about how he prays that our eyes will be open. We're about, he's about to say it again. And we talked about how a lot of times uh, people of faith were like puppies. You know, we're born and, and we can't quite see our eyes are closed. And we don't quite get the world that we're in. And what he's trying to say is, look, when you 
come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have access to some of the most incredible power, well, the most incredible power in the universe. We don't get it because we're us. And we think, well, that can't be. I'm in, I'm in Wisconsin. Can't have people in Wisconsin. you got to be from Oklahoma to get that. No, it doesn't matter where you're from. It's available to anybody. It's just it's hard for us to grasp, okay? Forgive the glasses on and off. I, my, I lost my bifocals. <laughs> and I have geezer eyes. i got to buy more, but I'm mad for losing my bifocals. I'm punishing myself. Um, <laughs> uh, where am I? Okay, so from the whole family in heaven and on earth, all this, this is his whole family, not a special segment one way or the other. It's all his family. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He wants us to connect uh, with the power of God so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, now he's going to go on here, but I want to, I want to hold on to this for a minute. We're rooted and established in love. This whole thing starts in love. We're like plants planted in the dirt, and you got to put your roots down in the dirt. And that's where you get your energy and your strength, sustenance through the dirt. Well, the dirt that we are planted in, that we are rooted in, that we grow from, is love. At least it's supposed to be. All right? Now, what is love? Hang a left and back up to uh, Corinthians. And let's take a real quick look at the love chapter and just apply this to everyday life. You know, I'm getting ready to do a, a, a wedding this this Friday. I don't do very many weddings, but uh, um, it worked out. I was able to do this one, and, and most weddings like to quote this thing, and it all sounds romantic and fuzzy and warm. But he's not talking about boyfriends and girlfriends here. He's talking about people, people of faith, and he describes what love is. And he says in chapter 13, starting at verse 4, he starts describing love. He says, love is what? Patient. (laughs) I hate to be patient because it takes so long. Love is patient. Love is Kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Now back up here a little bit. Put your name where love is. And see if this describes you. Mark is patient. Mark is kind. Mark does not envy. He doesn't boast. He's not proud. Ouch, 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 ouch. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angry. But when he's not really applying that to you, you got to wonder if we're really rooted and grounded in love or if it's Plato. Are you hearing me? And if you can't say amen, say ouch. All right, we need to grow in love. We need to get it. We're supposed to be rooted and grounded in this stuff. This is where we come from. This is our foundation. Kindness, patience, not self-seeking. Not easily anchored. It says, it keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I laugh because I know some of you. You keep record of every stinking wrong thing that's ever happened to you all your life. I remember the day that guy did that to me. It's right here in my book. 
right there. He did that thing, and I remember that day specifically because the barometric pressure was 29.92 and rising with the winds out of the southwest. Good night, people. Don't keep records of wrong. When it comes to people hurting you, you should develop dementia. Are you hearing me? Keep a short memory. Uh, my father, my wonderful father, he's got dementia. And it's sad. It's sad and rather hilarious at the same time. But uh, uh, because he forgets where he was three minutes ago. And uh, uh, we just did a, a, we were just with him in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma at my nephew's uh, <laughs> wedding. And, you know, it's sad, but it's pretty funny. It's hard not to giggle. You know, who are you? I'm your son. You know, and, uh, and then all of a sudden he remembers who you are and then he forgets. And he tells my sister, he says, what's your name? And she goes, Layla. He goes, that's a nice name. Who gave you that name? She says, you did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, anyway, sad, but funny at the same time. But I'll tell you, when it comes to people hurting you, we should be like that. Somebody hurt me. I, I can feel I just can't remember who it was. I forget who it was. And you just let it go. Just let it go. Quit keeping records of wrongdoings. You need to let it. You say, why? Because Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. How many of you need all the forgiveness you can handle? And put me at the top of the list. I need to keep a short account with people. I got to let it go. Why? Because I need God to cut me slack, Jack. Because I've got my own problems. If you go around hanging on to stuff and remembering people, and I know people like that, man, they just, every little thing, and they live it like it was yesterday. Have you met anybody like that? I mean, I have had people, I remember in, uh, in, in this church once, uh, someone in the foyer comes up to some lady, I didn't know her from Adam, or Eve as the case may be, and, uh, and, and she starts talking to me, and I, for the first time, and she starts telling me of this horrible, horrible things her husband did. Just horrible, and I mean just in vivid detail of what a bomb he was, and I'm going, that's terrible, yeah, I know, and it was just horrible, the old says, when did this happen? About 25 years ago. <laughs> I just wanted to give her a swirly. <laughs> Stick her head in the toilet and flash. What in the world? 25 years ago. Get over it already. 25 minutes ago. I can handle a week or two. or re- yeah, I can get working you through that. But 25 years ago. Goodness gracious. Let it go already. Love does not delight in evil. But rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trust. I don't know, Pastor, I just can't trust people anymore. I I love God, but I just can't trust. No, you're not rooted in love because love always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And I love the next three words. It says, love never fails. Pastor, I tried being nice, but it doesn't work. No, 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 no. Love Never fails. I tried to do the right thing, but my husband's a jerk. I'm going to divorce him. No, no, no. Love never fails. What well, doesn't work for me? Listen, I'm not going to believe you. If the Bible says love never fails, and you say it does fail, let me think. God, you, God, you, you lose. This stuff works. It always works. But it's taking so long. That's why he starts with love is patient. Sometimes 
it just takes a while. The good news is it never fails. The bad news is it can take a long time. There's your good and bad news for the day. Be patient. Hang in there. Love never fails. Love never. Just when you feel like strangling somebody, just remember, love never fails. I love you. I love you. I love you. I want to kill you, but I will not. I love you because love never fails. And it will win in the end. Okay, flip back over to Ephesians here. So he says, we are rooted in ground. I pray that you being rooted and established in love, which is the first thing we need, but, but coming from there, that now we may have power. Man, power. How many of you could use more power in your life? Hope you want three of you. Man, I can. <laughs> Rest of you, that's good. I'll just hang around with you. You need power. May have power together with all the saints, meaning all the believers in Christ, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. This is his prayer. I'm praying that you being rooted and established in love, that you will get this. You'll have the power to see how wide God's love is for you. How long God's love is. How high. Why? It's because we're like puppies. We we don't get it. We don't get it. We don't see what we have going for us. This is awesome stuff. And he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure. To the measure. Filled to the top. Not just partially filled. Not just up to your kneecaps filled. Not just up to your belly button filled. But to the measure. Filled with all the fullness of God. That's cool. That's cool. Some of y'all need to get filled. Filled up, you know, you stop by the gas station and get filled up with gas. Some of us, you just need to come and just get in God's presence and let him just fill you up. And it's okay to come to Jesus and say, you know, Lord, I am running on empty. You ever do that? You ever do that? I did that this morning. <laughs> I did. I just felt awful. So, Lord, I just, I, just, I just need, I need to fill, I need to get filled up. I need to, Lord, make a difference in, in my life. And he answers prayer and he does that stuff. Just be honest with God. You don't have to play games with God. But honest, not hanging on to your misery. Honest, to get out of your misery, to get into a place of faith. Thank you for those amens. Thank you, Pastor Lathan. You can get a raise now. Amen again. Amen again. (laughs) Shut up. All right, now. And, And then he wraps. Now he's coming to the end of this first half of all this theology that he's talking about. And he wraps it up like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say immeasurably more immeasurably more oh man you can't even this is how much more God can do immeasurably more more than what more than what more than all we ask or imagine think of this puppies (laughs) open your eyes I would have been thrilled with he can just do everything you can imagine I'd have gone with that that would have been rock and roll right there But he says, no, no, no. God can do immeasurably more than what you ask or imagine. That's what you think and desire and what in your life is jack squat to God. This does not wear him out. He doesn't, yes, blessings, yes, blessings, yes, blessings. Oh man, you want a lot. I don't know if I can do it. 
That's more than I can handle. He doesn't think in those terms. He can, more than anything you can imagine, God can do. This is cool. I love the way Paul talks. He, in another place in the Bible, I believe in the, in the book of the Philippians, he says, you know, in Christ, we are more than conquerors. Well, you know what a conqueror is? Anybody know what a conqueror is? You ever think of a conqueror? Like Alexander the Great or some of these great conquerors? You know what conquerors do? Anything they want. Conquerors are mean, mean, world-changing, life-changing, butt-kicking machines. Paul said, we're not some girly man conqueror. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hello, puppies. Are you getting this? Oh, man, I don't know if I can make rent this week. I'm having a hard time getting to this point. You know, hey, it's all about growing in faith and trusting God. But you just need to understand what you need to see is this height, this depth, this incredible hugeness of God's love, his power, his willingness, and his ability to do more than you can ask or imagine. That, that is pretty cool. According to his power that is at work in, in Pastor Lathan. Is that what it says? According to his power, that, that's in Pastor Mark. If, if I can just touch Pastor Mark, I'll, I'll, I'll really be blessed. <laughs> I don't think so. According to that power that that other guy has. If I can just get other... No, 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 no. According to that power where? That's in us. That's in us. Little puppies, you have the power of God. You, you feel that, that little warmth of God in you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean... You can just tell God's in there. Do you know what that is? That's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what the Bible says. This is the power. That little thing you feel inside, that love of God that you feel like, oh, he changed my life. This is not some little tiny girly man, little tiny, you know, big, flick big thing in there. <laughs> this is serious nuclear power. In you just going, trying to radiate you and everything around you. And oh, man, you just need to just crank it up. You have it. This power of God is in you. All of this stuff, all of this stuff, more than you can ask or imagine. This power, I wish I could get it out there. I wish I could get it. You got it already. I don't see what you're saying. Open your eyes, open your eyes. Oh my goodness. So, to him that is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that's worked in us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Throughout all generations. Isn't that great? Now he says amen like he just ended the whole thing. He could have ended right there. That could have been the end of the book. Okay, but now from here he jumps into the practical side of Christianity, which is we're going to jump to into chapter 4 now. But I just, I just want to encourage you here on this verse. I, I, I lit up when I read this earlier uh, today when I was reading about through Jesus Christ through all generations, you know. And this is something that's, that's a big part of my heart is, is to encourage us as people of faith in our homes to create multi-generational faith. That the power of God that's in you and the faith of God that's in you will get into your kids and then into your grandkids. And 
man, I'm telling you, this, this, is, this is one of the big desires and focuses of my heart. You know, one of the major complaints uh, that churches have around the country is that their kids are falling away from the faith. That, you know, instead of following after their parents' faith when they get into college, they're turning their back on Christ and back on God, and they're trying to figure out why that is. I got some theories as to why that is. But man, we shouldn't be sitting there bemoaning about, you know, gee, can we hang on to our kids? We should get so much God in these kids that it's just a foregone conclusion. That they step forward in faith and then they carry the parents' faith even to a higher level and the grandkids to a higher level. And uh, I love that. I love it. Those of you who know me, you know, I, I, my kids work in ministry with me. Pastor Lathan, his kids around him uh, in ministry as well here. Um, Pastor Arnie with his kids. Some people don't like that. I don't like that. Them preachers get their kids in there with them. I don't like them. Free. What? What is that? I don't know. It's called the Bible. <laughs> it's called multi-generational faith. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. Jacob. Papa. Son. Grandson. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It wasn't the God of Abraham, Raul, and Bob. There's something powerful about multi-generational faith. Isn't it amazing? John the Baptist comes along. Who just happens to be the cousin of whom? Jesus. Whose half-brother goes on to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You see a family line there anywhere? I don't know those those family people. That Baptist and Jesus and James, those guys. What are they doing? Called the Bible. There's power in it. Paul wrote to Timothy. When, you, when we get to Timothy, we'll, we'll look at this. But he writes to Timothy and encourages the faith that's in Timothy. It's so cool. He says, it's the kind of faith that was in your mom. And the faith that we first saw in your grandma. What are they talking about? Multi-generational faith. When we start really living this stuff in our homes, so it gets in our kids and into our grandkids, that's when we'll start changing people's lives. <laughs> Hallelujah. So he ends with amen. Okay, now, he goes into verse, chapter 4, which he didn't, it's not really written in chapters, he just keeps going. We put chapters in there. Okay, now he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, remember, he's writing this uh, in his situation where he's, uh, um, you know, he's been arrested for his faith. The Ephesians will never see him again. We, we talked about this, and, and he encouraged them not to be discouraged by what he's going through. But he says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I, I urge you, To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So what he's done here is for these first three chapters, the first half of his letter, he's talking and trying to get us to see this incredible place that we have in Christ. Whether you feel like it or not. It has nothing to do with feelings. But in this incredible, because we have this incredible status, how he's raised us to this status alongside Christ in heaven. That's the status you and I have as believers. It's hard to even begin to relate to. But because of this status, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the status that you have. This is life-changing stuff. You remember last week we were looking at uh, uh, Corinthians. Was it Corinthians? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where... Uh, um, they were having a, a little bit of a problem in the church, a little slight problem, where guys 
in the church were going to prostitutes. That I would definitely put in the problem category. And, 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 and well, you better not do that, I'll strangle you. But anyway, that's what they were doing. And, uh, yeah, I'm not as nice as Paul. So anyway, Paul's answer to this was, he says, he doesn't say, you bunch of filthy sinners. I probably would. But he says, you bunch of filthy sinners. What's the matter? They're all going to go to hell. He didn't say that. You remember what he said? He says, don't you realize that your bodies are the what? Temple of the Holy Spirit. So people quote that, you know, that's why you shouldn't smoke cigars or, you know, that's why I ought to take vitamins or exercise, you know, all good things. But, you know, that's not what the Bible's talking about. He's talking about going to having sex with prostitutes. He says, the reason our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, don't, he says, his answer to rebuking them is, don't you see who you are? Don't you realize who you are? You, you shouldn't be acting this way because that's not you. Oh man, I wish I could dance this into you. I dance. Some of y'all struggle. Just I know, you just struggle terribly. You struggle in life. You struggle with sin. You keep falling back in the same stupid addictions and patterns and stuff like that. And you need to know something. We don't think evil of you, Ed. We don't sit around in our staff meeting saying, Oh, what a wicked evil person that is. Man, I, when I hear you struggle, I just think, oh man, help me get this puppy to see who you are. You're living so below your calling. It's not you. You might be acting badly, but it's not the real you. Are you catching this at all? It's not the real you. The real you has been born and fashioned in the image of Christ. If you've come to Jesus and you've surrendered your heart and he's forgiven you and the spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, even though you might still struggle, you need to know something. That's not you anymore. That's not the real you. The real you as you live in a status elevated into the heavens. The real you is that you are an heir, a joint heir with, a joint heir with Christ. It's hard to even comprehend that deal. I'd be happy to be a sub-heir. I'd be happy to be a distant cousin of Christ. Are you hearing me? We're way beyond that. You are, you say, but I sin. I still, why do I sin? Because you're your puppy. You haven't opened your eyes. That's not you. That's not the real you. You need to start walking in the real you. He says, seeing what an incredible place we've been taken to. What incredible lies we should be living. And believe it or not, if the one will start to dawn on you, it will affect the other. But what we think is, no, I need to clean my act up first. I need to get my act together first. And, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be in this wonderful place that God wants me to be. And what Paul's is really saying, no, 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 you are in this wonderful place. Quit acting like this. You're in this wonderful place called Forgiven. You're in this wonderful place called faith. You're in this wonderful place of, of communion with God. So quit acting like a scuzzball. Quit acting like the way you used to act. If you start to realize this, it will change you. You know, you see these stories, you know, these movies every once in a while that, you know, that somebody is, a, you know, a pauper or a nobody in life and then, um, suddenly, because some weird chain of things that they're the next queen of England or the next king of something. You ever see these kind of movies, you know? And, and then they go to this person who's just like this regular guy. So you don't realize you are now the queen or you're now the king or something like that. And it's fun to watch these movies that tell these stories because it's fun to watch the transformation. Because they start to change. Whereas before they were just... When it starts dawning on them, 
who they are now. They start to walk a little taller. Start to have more confidence. Start to assert themselves. They begin to change. Why? Because it starts to dawn on them. They are not the little nitwit that they thought they were before. That they are something. That they are somebody. I want you to know, in God, you are somebody. You may not feel like a somebody. And I know some of you don't act like somebody's. But you are somebody in Christ. And if you start to realize this, this will change you. It will change the way you act, the way you behave. Honestly, some of you guys, if, if you were to get a letter and some geezer died and left you $500 million, do you think it would change you? Honestly, do you think you would walk a little taller? Be a little more confident? Some boss yells at you on the job? You just can look at him like, Why? You don't care what that nitwit thinks. Why? Because you are somebody. You are an heir. You've just inherited $500 million. You'll be thinking, really, what am I doing at this stupid job? That's what you'll be thinking. <laughs> thinking of creative ways to tell them, take this job. And No, that's not Christian. But uh, <laughs> it would change you. This one, you start understanding who you are, what God wants to do. So he starts, he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he starts talking about practical ways. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Why? Because of who you are. Humble and gentle. You know, that's that's the analogy I just gave of, of, uh, you know, if you knew you had all this money and someone starts threatening you or yelling at you, you probably wouldn't feel very defensive. Why? Because you have all this power now. He just doesn't know it yet. It changes. You actually become more gentle when you realize your value in the kingdom of heaven. You don't feel quite so threatened by everything and everybody and stuff. Because you are now walking with this incredible power, this nuclear generator inside of you. Wow. And that God loves you so much that throughout all eternity, he's going to point to you is why he's so wonderful. So be completely gentle and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. <laughs> I love the way he says this. He doesn't just say love each other. He says bear one another. Why? You got to bear with one another. Because sometimes we're a real pain. Sometimes people can really be a pressure and a load. And they can lean. And you've got to put up with people. Sometimes people get tired. I'm tired of putting up with that. You ever hear anybody say that? You ever say, you ever say that yourself? Hey, I'm tired of putting up. I ain't going to put up with that. What the God's doing to me anymore. I ain't going to put up with it anymore. Well, I know what you're trying to say, but in, in the church and faith, what he's saying is we need to put up with each other. We do. You, you need to put up with me. <laughs> I'm giving you all kinds of bad news tonight. Good news, bad news. Good news, God love you. Bad news, you got to put up with me. We got to put up with it. We got to bear one another. We've got to bear. And sometimes it feels like you're bearing. You ever feel wore out sometimes trying to support somebody else? Trying to be there for somebody else? It's, uh, 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 what is that? It's called bearing. The beautiful thing. You say, I can't do it. Sure you can. Why? Because you can do anything. In fact, there's power inside of you that is able to do more 
immeasurably more than you can ask or think. Do you have enough? Has God given you, you, not the guy next to you, you, enough power to bear the failings and shortcomings of other people? Has He given you enough power to do that? Yes or no? Absolutely. He has. So well, I don't feel it. Doesn't matter what you feel. Quit living by how you feel. I tell you, faith is when this becomes more real to you than this. That's where we need to get. This is, a, you know, again, I know not everybody gets here overnight, and I'm still growing in this. We're all still growing on this. The whole point of this walk is for us to start realizing. I am convinced when we die, the first thing we'll say when we open our eyes and everything dawns on us is, oh. I'm convinced when we drop dead and all of a sudden we come out and it dawns on us who we are, what God did and meant to do and was able to do in us, we will go, ah. oh my goodness. Make every effort, he says, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why does he say that? Because to keep peace with people takes Every effort. Why? Because we're people. We're people. We're just, you know, people irritate people. But he says this. He says, this is, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, there's one. All of us, we're all one. We all belong to each other. This is one church, one faith, one fellowship. But to each one of us, God has given, a grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. In other words, we're all one, but yet we're different. How cool is that? We're all different, that's for sure. Look around you. We're different, but yet we're one. We, we are part of something bigger than us. One of the things that I love about this uh, exercise that we've been doing as a church, reaching out and uh, doing, uh, being able to have church in more than just one location. On, on Sunday mornings, we actually have three locations. We've got uh, a group that meets down there, a group in here. We've got a group over in Stevens Point. We're getting ready to launch one uh, in Appleton. Next year, the Lord willing, we've got plans for other ones. People are talking to us about wanting to do others. As this church starts to grow, it, it, but it's not separate churches. It's one church. We just don't all sit under the same building. It's one fellowship, one pastor, one Jesus, one everything. And, 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 and yet, we're different and we can even meet in different places. This is a wonderful thing. One of the things that you've heard me stress over and over again is that um, we are different and it's okay to be different and we don't all have to agree with, with each other. We need to be nice to each other. I've got a message coming up dealing with that. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me but you have to be nice about it. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, nobody expects you to think like me. My wife doesn't even think like me. Hard to imagine. People think differently. That's, that's okay. But, you know, you need, you need to be nice about it. But uh, each one of us has received grace just as Christ has apportioned it. And he says, this is why it says, what's it? The Old Testament. He's quoting from the Old Testament. 
When he ascended on heaven on high, talking about Jesus, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And then parenthetically, here you see the parentheses in verse 9, he stops to say, what does ascend, he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus when he died and what he did. Uh, look at, hang a big left here over to Luke, to the uh, 18th chapter. I think it's the 18th chapter. Is it the 18th chapter? Here I thought I'd know it. Sixteenth chapter. I knew I was thinking of something. Amazingly, I do not have the entire Bible memorized. All right. One laugh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Luke, the sixteenth chapter, starting at verse 19. Jesus tells this parable, the story says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He was covered with sores, icky, 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 smelly, hurting guy. And this Lazarus guy just longed to eat whatever fell from the rich man's table. And this guy was so destitute that, that even the dogs came and licked his sores. That was his health care system. Dog care. <laughs> yeah, it is icky. That's the point of the story, I think. Anyway, the time came when the beggar died. This Lazarus guy, this guy had been hurting all his life. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Well, the rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was, in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. With Lazarus, this beggar who he'd seen at his table, was sitting by Abraham's side. So he called to him. He said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed. So that those who want to go from uh, here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Though I doubt highly very many people were wanting to leave Abraham to go to hell. (laughs) I think it was the other way around. Anyway, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and let let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, they got the Bible. The truth is there. They can get it there. And, and, and this guy cries out from hell. And he says, no, Father Abraham. If, if someone from the dead goes to them, then they'll repent and start doing the right things. And Abraham says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to the revealed truth of God here, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, very sad story about this guy and the situation he wound up in, but uh, 
Uh, what I want you to see here is the way that Jesus described the afterlife, uh, certainly at the time Jesus was talking about this. In other words, uh, when people would die and, and go to what they call Sheol or Hades, or what we refer to as hell, um, they would go, and the Bible actually refers to where hell, anybody know where hell is, this, this waiting place, location-wise, where it is? Where? Two rivers? Is that what you said? <laughs> no, he didn't say it. Somebody. Uh, it's, it's actually, he says it's, it's in the bowels of the earth. Isn't that wild? It's kind of creepy, isn't it? You know, like hell is down there somewhere. You know, in this place. You know, I don't, I don't know how this stuff works. But uh, he says that down there, he was in hell. And then he looked over and he saw Lazarus in this place of comfort. And there was this great chasm between the two. They couldn't connect. They could see them, which I'm sure added to the agony of this hell. Because they could actually see people in comfort. You say, well, why were these people in comfort? Why weren't they in heaven? Because up to this point, um, people when they died didn't go immediately to heaven. They went to this waiting place. It was a place of comfort. But it, they were still, you know, the, the, Satan still had the, the keys of death and hell. Is what the Bible taught. Well, when Jesus Christ died... The Bible says that he went into the lower regions. He went into hell. Jesus shows up. And he rips from Satan the keys of hell and death. And he takes all these people who had been waiting, these captives, and led them triumphantly into heaven. What a cool thing that is, huh? Uh, and actually, there's, there's a great verse over in uh, the last book of the Bible. Take a look at this real quick. Um, Revelations, the very first chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation. I bet you that's verse 18. I think that's where I got the 18 in my head. Yes. That's where that was. Uh, Revelations 1, 18. Um, Jesus is talking. He says, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So he, as the Messiah goes down, and he takes dominion and control of all of these things. That's what he's talking about here in Ephesians. When he says that he led these people. He ascended on high and led these captives in his train. And he gave gifts to men. And then he starts explaining some of the diversity that happens in the body of Christ. Even though we're one. We're still yet very diverse with different gifts and different ministries. And that's where we're going to pick it up next week. Okay? Praise the Lord. Pastor Lathan.